When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, it's the Planet Football Podcast. Grant Wall here with my guy, Luis Miguel Echegaray. We're recording this on Saturday afternoon after the games have taken place because we have a bit of a crazy travel schedule. I travel to Europe on Sunday night. Luis Miguel travels uh, to upstate New York with his wife for a couple of days. I can't freaking wait. <laughs> By the way, if, if guys, uh, and Grant, of course, if... Uh, you see me a little really adrenaline rushed or energetic today it's because I'm on five cups of coffee and, you know, as, uh, you know, I work uh, these mornings. Tell people what you do on Saturdays and Sundays. I'm uh, at the office from 6.45 a.m. and I'm running the show, baby, and it's great. I love it. Uh, you know, we take a lot of care in doing it, but at the same time, it's really running this ship that it's not just the Premier League. It's a lot of, a lot of action and, you know, you need your coffee, baby, and that's exactly what I've done. <laughs> you seem to be about to burn out of your seat here wearing your Aston Villa oh that's shirt, another thing way. right yeah exactly as I'm working also Villa in the background and you know another frustrating uh, tie but we'll get to that later but yes exactly all of that is happening literally every single Saturday so the fact that we're doing this right now energy energy I'm like the Duracell bunny times a million all right so let, let's do this <laughs> So just so you know, because we're recording this Saturday afternoon, coming out Monday afternoon, we won't have a discussion on the Madrid Derby, which takes place Sunday, and obviously not the Man United Arsenal game, which takes place on Monday when this podcast comes out. But we do have plenty to talk about. Uh, We're going to get into Liverpool staying perfect in the Premier League, City keeping pace. Chelsea wins. Christian Pulisic sits again for a full 90 minutes. We're going to talk about our thoughts on the Diego Maradona movie, which we've both seen. It comes out this Tuesday on HBO, and it's amazing. And we're going to have our thoughts on the MLS playoff format, which is new this year. We'll get into reader questions. And before we do that, quick plug, watch our Planet Football video show. Please, uh, watch it. comes out on Thursday nights. it's still fresh on Friday. We had a lot of good interview guests recently. We had David Alaba from Bayern Munich this week, along with Luisa Martapia. But we've had people like Jesse Marsh, uh, Miguel Delaney, Sam Kerr, Pierluigi Colina, Dome Torrant, Greg Berhalter, Rafa Honigstein. Lots of good folks. Carly Lloyd. Yes. I mean, it's a really, you know, it's not just because we're on it, but our team puts a lot of work into it. It's free this season so you can definitely check it out we're nearing 100 episodes and we're just very proud of the product yeah as well as this one so let's (laughs) dive into the premier league as we do in our first section every week of the monday podcast liverpool still perfect in the league not easy on this one at all going to sheffield united winning one nothing thanks to a goalkeeper error by manchester united loney dean henderson i felt bad for the guy yeah, I felt really bad. It was uh, not a pretty sight. And he was doing pretty well, uh, you know, for, for the game. Listen, Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp admitted it at the end of this game. They were not good. They deserved, as Jurgen Klopp quoted, as I quote Jurgen Klopp, deserved just a point in this one. And were it not for that goalkeeping error, maybe it would have happened. But, you know, 
the perfect record maintains. Liverpool still going, but I do worry though. I do worry about these types of performances. Three points is always going to be the most important thing for sure. But you know, I think Jurgen Klopp does need to understand that this team needs to improve specific because these are the types of matches that need to be won, and of course they won today. But is that going to happen when we reach your Januarys and your Februarys? So there is room for improvement for Liverpool, especially as they look into the Champions League and other tournaments. But, you know, the Dean Henderson era really was the reason why Liverpool won this game. And at first I thought maybe he was like screaming, but he actually wasn't. The, the ball just basically went through his bread basket. <laughs> and he just sat there watching. I thought that he could maybe turn around and save it, but he like kind of looked at the ball kind of like, ugh. Here we go. And that's unfortunate. I mean, the, the Sheffield United fans gave their team a deserved standing ovation at the end of this game. And I think it is cool that a team that's promoted like Sheffield United can give a perfect team like Liverpool a game like this. It's one of the things I like about the Premier League that you just don't ever really know. Norwich can beat Man City. Uh, that happens with less regularity in other European leagues. Yeah, listen, the other thing about this game is, you know, you, we need to give a lot of credit for, you know, Chris Wilder, like we said, like Sheffield United is coming to the season. I mean, it's still early, right? It's just the end of September, but this is a team that is very well organized and knows that it's not going to have the ball a lot of the time. I mean, this was a game where, you know, it had 29% uh, of possession uh, to Liverpool's, you know, 71, but, you know, it did keep up with the shots. It had 12 shots to Liverpool's 16. I mean, Liverpool didn't manage a shot on target until basically that goal. I mean, Sadio Mane hit the post, but, you know, it it did well enough against the Liverpool side that knows it has to keep going in order to, you know, grab this Premier League title from Manchester City. So there's a lot of um, good reason why Sheffield United fans should be, you know, happy for their team and, and let's see what happens. But, you know, to me, when it comes to promoted teams, it's not just about performances, it's about health and, like, they have to stay healthy the injuries have to the injury list has to be you know short especially as as we reach you know the christmas period i will say this to wrap up that the perpetual way of looking at a game like this for liverpool is okay got to be better but teams that win titles get 3 points when they play like this yep they find a way yep you win ugly you win Yep. Moving on. Uh let's go to Everton Man City cuz we're still at the top of the table here City Wins 3-1 to one in the end to stay five points behind Liverpool uh, within striking distance, obviously. But not always easy, especially when it went uh, to 1-1 uh, at halftime. Even early in the second half, it looked like Everton might have a, a shot to, to get one or even three points from this game. But Mares with a terrific free kick. Uh, just he's, he's very good, by the way. And he was great <laughs> today. He yeah. was fantastic. Fantastic today. The Gabriel Jesus opener, obviously we talk a lot about Kevin De Bruyne's crossing, which yeah. once again we saw today, but Riyad Mahrez did all that work on the right-hand side, you know, to make that happen. Riyad Mahrez was amazing today, amazing, and his free kick, uh, you know, he really earned that goal. It was just such a wonderful free kick, but the performance overall was amazing. I mean, again, you know, Everton does need to pick up points. It's a really a bumpy road, and now it's three straight losses, I think, in the league for Marco Silva's side, but they did push Ederson. I mean, Great I know save. that you tweeted about it like before, but it's crazy how 
Brazil has these two amazing goalkeepers, right? But Ederson made some really crucial saves right before Man City took the lead. So there's a lot to take credit for for a Man City side that knew they had to win in a place where Everton really needed something. Uh, so, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a good performance, a resilient performance, and Rian Maris was just amazing. A couple of things I would point out here is if you're into data and expected goals, I, I wonder what the value of the XG was on Calvert-Lewin's goal that where he literally <laughs> heads it with the ball like over the line. Yeah. <laughs> Just, um, I, I did a search on Twitter. I'm such a geek that like, it was like, I looked up XG Calvert-Lewin and, and of course Mike Goodman had uh, a comment on it there just because that's probably the highest XG you'll see for uh, a shot all season long. <laughs> um, and, and beyond that, like you mentioned the tweet I put out last week, which is um, Brazilian goalkeepers, which let's be honest here, have never been known that's not Brazil's calling card, their goalkeepers. And I would argue, and I know plenty of people argued with me on Twitter, that Allison and Aderson, for me, are the two best men's goalkeepers in the world right now. They're both Brazilian. Obviously, there's others uh, in that discussion. Jan Oblak, uh, for a lot of people, Ter Stegen. Um, who else? Well, I mean, you know, obviously... Uh even with all the issues, you know, specifically from this weekend, Hugo Lloris definitely deserves a mention. But I, will I, not I, of this I don't. I, yeah, <laughs> maybe maybe because of this Saturday, I we should never mention him ever again. But I'm with you. And uh, to me, to me, All Black is is just a, a machine, and and it's always in the conversation. But Aderson and Allison. I mean, Ederson just doesn't get to credit because he is the number two keeper for Brazil, but he is just an amazing keeper. But I'm with you. I'm with you. I think arguably you can have an argument to say that the best goalkeepers in the world right now, both of them are Brazilian. And think about this. Allison's been gone for a while due to his injury, and and Adrian had that one really bad mistake uh, that went led to a goal. But otherwise, Liverpool really hasn't been hurt by the fact that Allison's been gone. One of their best players has not been on the field, and... They're still perfect. Yep. And it's a really good thing to see. And you got to give credit to Adrian, who's just done the job. He hasn't been spectacular. He hasn't been horrific. He's done the job. And that's the most that you can ask out of your keeper, especially when there's so much pressure on you because, you know, the number one star is out. I will add, too, on this Brazilian goalkeeper question, my friend Andrew Downey, journalist, very good journalist down in Brazil. Love Andy. Argued with me that... He thinks Brazilian goalkeepers have been underrated for a very long time, and that. Uh, well, I do remember the Taffarel years. I mean, I, but Taffarel was like the point I would make is is that we've never had a situation where two Brazilian goalkeepers are considered in the top three, top five in the world at the same time, right? right? And and even Taffarel, when he was winning World Cups and making stops in penalty shootouts and World Cup finals. Nobody ever really thought Tafarel was the best goalkeeper in the world. I, I do think, though, it's because of the team that he had with him. So much of the argument was more because of the offensive players. But I, I'm with you. There were other players, keepers in his time at the time that probably would go, no, definitely would go ahead of him in the skill level. Allison and Ederson, there is a solid, strong argument to be made that both of them are one and two in not just Brazil, but also in club Europe intercontinental uh, keepers. They're both fantastic. Oblak is the other one that I would put up there. Aside from that, it's crazy. So let's move on to Chelsea, which gets a win uh, in, in Frank Lampard's first win in the Premier League okay, at home. But let's talk about it. 
Uh, and Kristen Pulisic, not, <laughs> not playing at all again. Uh, and uh, Third straight. Third straight in the league where he's been an unused sub. Yeah. And, and so if you're Frank Lampard, you got three points here. So uh, I think that's something that for him, that's all he really cares about in the end. And so I, I, I do find it interesting here. My buddy Christian Araos here in New York, pointed this out that Frank Lampard has now unwittingly become enemy of American soccer twice <laughs> so for not playing Felicic but also when he first came to NYCFC but waited six months because he ended up playing for for City um yeah and the stop start injury you know <laughs> uh and not to mention that he's English and obviously the U.S. Uh, man's an English uh, relationship when it comes to you know soccer so to speak no listen let, let's just focus on on what's happening here I I was as soon as I saw how Callum Hudson-Odoi looked midweek mm-hmm. I was beginning to get worried now mm-hmm. for politics minutes because I just knew again it goes back to what we've been talking a lot for a long time which is trust Lampard just trusts certain players and um it just seems obviously that he doesn't trust what Pulisic can bring. Is is it trust or he doesn't rate him? Maybe he doesn't rate him. I mean, we we also talked about the fact that, um, you know, he's not the one that brought Pulisic into Chelsea. It's not a purchase of Lampard, you know. Uh, and, you know, we... Uh, Joe uh, Joe Prince right did talk for NBC Sports did talk to Pulisic after the game good job Joe yeah and it was uh, you know and he asked him about what yeah. he thought and Pulisic obviously was very diplomatic he was you know listen Lampard has said to me you just gotta work harder in training but he said there wasn't much feedback coming this sounds like a, a manager who is not a big talker with his players in my opinion and that's the traditional manager type right I mean it just sounded like from what Pulisic was saying, there hasn't been a lot of discussion between the two about the situation here. Maybe you're right, man. Maybe you're right. Maybe he just doesn't rate him. I mean, it goes back to the, I just, it becomes a little worrying when it's the third straight league game and he's completely unused. Listen, there is a peck in order, of course, right? And also, you also have to look at the flow and the rhythm of the game and the subs that Frank Lampard used. I mean, Tammy Abraham was substituted. You know, Pulisic's not going to substitute Tammy Abraham. You know, it's not a, definitely from a position to position sub. Right. Um, I mean, I just want to quickly check at the subs that he used today and just see, like, exactly why he wasn't used. I mean, uh, uh, let's see here. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I don't want to. Sorry, guys. I don't want to do any dead air. Yeah, here, but yeah. I let me just like while you're while you're looking at I'm, looking, up, you I'm talk. gonna uh, put out or talk about a tweet that I put out today about it, which was basically I understand the need to earn your place, but to say Pulisic isn't good enough for this Chelsea, this Chelsea in particular, is silly. He was scoring goals to send Dortmund to the Champions League quarterfinals three seasons ago. Now, obviously, this is a what have you done for me lately world. I get it. My point about the three seasons ago stuff is that for people who are saying, including Frank Lampard, oh, he's young. He's really young. 
as a soccer player, Christian Pulisic is actually not that young. Yeah, no, he was playing in Champions League knockout round games three seasons ago. He has more experience than most of these guys, these other young, so-called young guys on Chelsea, and he's got that experience in uh, in UEFA Champions League. Uh, That's including, 18. including including <laughs> Dortmund, by the way. So, I, like it, it, on Dortmund teams that, frankly. Or better than this Chelsea team. Right. By quite a bit. Hatsuna Doi is 18 years old. Okay, so it's not about age. It's it's I, I go back to listen, one trust, I stick with that because he really Okay, Pedro uh came out for Callum Hatsuna Doi. That was the first substitution. Then Ross Barkley came out and Kovacic came in, so that's a center midfield situation. And then Tammy Abraham uh came out for Mishibatsuai. So the first substitution is the one that I'm looking at. Right. He, I, I really believe he rates Hudson uh, Odoi higher than Pulisic, definitely, um, at this point. Whether people agree with that or not, that's something else. But as we talked about, he is the manager. And right now, the pecking order that I see for him is Pedro William, because of experience, Callum Hudson Odoi, Pulisic. Mason Mount's not even in the conversation because I think he he's a, a starter for him. He starts every single game, doesn't matter. So he's competing for me. Politics competing against Callum Hudson Odoi, Pedro, and William. And right now he's choosing experience over everything else. And the next one down is Callum Hudson Odoi, somebody who, by the way, is just getting back to fitness. So and make I, that of what you will. Yeah, and I'd add a couple of things too for all these social media jockeys who are basically saying. You know, Pulisic didn't play last year at Dortmund. Sancho was better. Well, obviously, Sancho. Sancho is like, it's not a great defeat for Christian Pulisic that Jaden Sancho ended up Sancho's getting. Sancho's one of England's time. best players yeah. right now. Uh, and I, also the injury thing. The I'm injuries. Sure the other thing I was going right. to point out, like, you know, last year was really unfortunate for Pulisic at Dortmund in the sense that he had an injury, it seemed like, every two or three weeks that he would have a couple of good games and then the injury would come and he'd have to kind of start over again and, and get going. And that ended up sort of defining his season because then the transfer happens in January and he gets loaned back to Dortmund, but the writing was on the wall at that point about where he was going. And look, Dortmund invested in Pulisic at a very young age and gave him playing time and it was situationally, we see this in the NBA, right? Like where if a situationally players can find a really good spot and thrive and then really good players can actually go someplace in the NBA and situationally it's not a good fit and it doesn't work there and they end up moving elsewhere. That may be what ends up happening. 1,000%. We've got to remember something that this game ultimately, aside from stardom and you know goal scoring, we are so focused now to on strategy and tactics. This may not, this may not fit. It's still early. And yeah, let's Lampard, say that again. And Lampard has said, look, just be patient. Be patient. So we'll see how it evolves in the next few months. But I will say this, and we'll go back to it. Sometimes you may think that the, it may not fit from a situation or a tactical perspective. But I still believe that it's still early. There are still many things that can happen. And Pulisic, every time he gets on that pitch, he's going to take his chance and he's going to go for it. Yeah, and the fact of the matter is is that he had a good game against Liverpool in the UEFA Super Cup. He has not set the world on fire when he has been on the field in other games for Chelsea. And right now, he's not getting a lot of playing time. His time will come. Um, let's move on to the continent where... Um, we have a 
Maybe the surprise result in Germany this weekend, at least so far, recording us on Saturday afternoon, is Schalke, with Americans Weston McKenney and manager David Wagner winning at RB Leipzig, uh, which was leading the league, and uh, winning convincingly on the road, 3-1. to one. Yeah, Leipzig was at home. And... <laughs> And and they didn't score their goal until the like the last you know the eighty third minute. Yeah, this was a demolition. Right. And uh, this is a story to keep an eye on here because Schalke was truly terrible in the league last year, and Tedesco, their manager, got fired, and uh, David Wagner comes in after a couple years in the Premier League. Got relegated with Huddersfield last year, but made a name for himself. Before that, he had been with the youth ranks, managing at Dortmund. Um, and it's really interesting to see Schalke get off to a good start in the Bundesliga here, and McKenney getting real playing time, and this team playing with a style that Wagner has shown us over the years that maybe works better when you have even more talent which he does have more talent at Schalke than he did at Huddersfield. And, you know, again, situation. Just like it goes to a player, it goes to a manager. Like you said, since that 3 nothing loss to Bayern Munich, it's a winning run of four matches. It's great. It fits, and the system fits. I mean, clearly, it, things are ticking. And this game, by the way, against Leipzig, Schalke really delivered. And... Uh, it was about control, not from a possession perspective, not even from a shot perspective, but Wagner knew exactly exactly what kind of game plan he wanted to adapt, and it worked. Another thing I'd point out here is a quick story. We visited uh, Schalke last spring for an SI video production on Germany. See it if you can. It's on SITV. I interviewed Weston McKenney and a bunch of other U.S. national team players over in Germany. But it was a weird environment, probably the low point in the league for Schalke in just a brutal season where they were even having to worry about relegation. Uh, and we attended a practice right in the middle of that. It was right before Tedesco got fired. And in Germany, more than in other countries, they're big about letting fans come and watch training sessions. It's right. this big thing in Germany about these are community properties. They aren't just businesses, and we want to be in touch with the community. And so we'll let fans come and watch training sessions even Bayern Munich does this and it was so uncomfortable being at this training session because the fans were so upset with how their team was doing that like there were no there were no smiles there was no cheering they were basically staring daggers at the players for the entire <laughs> training session it was one of the weirdest things ever I love the philosophy, though. I'm such a big fan of Bundesliga because of this particular reason. Their yeah. relationship with the community, bad or good, they're very transparent about it. I mean, I, if I was a player, though, I would not want that to happen. We got to try and get Weston McKenney on the show yeah, that would be uh, great. sometime soon here. And, and I'm going to ask him... So what are training sessions like now when the, when the fans are coming? Is it like, are, are people happy? Are they like cheering for you guys at least? Because like, that was really grim <laughs> last hey, break. At least it's not South America, right? Which even if you're not invited, you're still going. <laughs> oh, shoot. Um, and, and I want to talk here as well, uh, and this gets away from results of the weekend, but we both have deep feelings about this. Asif Kapadia's documentary film, Diego Maradona, comes out on HBO this Tuesday, 9 p.m. Eastern. And we've both seen it. We've both seen it multiple times because we like it so much. 
we've both interviewed Capadia. You wrote a really good review of the film um, uh, this week on SI.com. And I just wanted to, to talk about it a little bit because you and I have pretty pretty deep feelings about this whole thing. And and Richard Deitch, our old SI pers- buddy who's at uh, The Athletic now, called this the best sports documentary of 2019. And I'll admit I haven't watched a lot of other sports documentaries on other sports. But this is absolutely fantastic. What were your thoughts on it? Uh, first of all, thank you for the kind words about the review. I would also recommend the podcast conversation you had with Steve Capita, which basically started you know, our, our journey into you know, getting this film going for SI. Um, I agree with Deitch. I've seen a few, and uh, I, I, it's, it's a magnificent piece of cinematic work. There's, you know, there's a lot that we can talk about, but I'll start with this. First, we have to remember that Asif Kapadia Khan is an award-winning director whose other projects like Senna and Amy, one on Arrington Senna, the other one on Amy Winehouse. Everyone should watch those too. Yes. What he does is, and this is what he does with Maradona, is he peels the onion on his character, on his progenitor, and whoever that main person is. So what he does is, there's no talking heads. There are no, uh, you know, grandiose celebrity voices that, you know, go throughout the film. The soundtrack really fits the theme. But what happens is you unravel the person in front of you through this footage and in this case he had 500 hours of unseen footage from Maradona's personal collection specifically during his Napoli years and what happens is this is where you discover who this person ended up becoming so one of the things and I'm sure he said it to you too that Capadia said to me was we and he compared it to Amy Winehouse we may think we know this because of what we read or whatever and but you don't you don't know this person and so he does this through this footage so you're taking through this narrative purely by the footage you get commentary from different people his personal trainer during the year signorini i mean you know uh, daniel Arcucci obviously is in it all these people comment about it maradona himself narrates it but it doesn't matter. It's the footage, the beautiful editing that just drives you. And it's it's a masterpiece of storytelling. And it completely unravels and makes you understand why Maradona now is of what it became. Because ultimately, to me, this is really about a kid from the streets who became overwhelmed with fame and did not know what to do with it. And even Pelé is not in this film very often, but in the opening sequence, he's... He he kind of gets it. Yeah. He, he says Maradona, who's just emerging then, is, has amazing talent that will take him very, very far. I worry if he's psychologically prepared for the journey ahead and pretty prescient when you look at how things turned out. Yeah. Um, but like, I'm trying to think of things that stand out to me about why this film is so good. Um, several of the things you mentioned just all of the archival footage so like and they don't use talking heads but they do pick the right people to sort of say some things over the archival footage so it never takes you out of that moment but like Danny Arcucci is a good friend of mine he's actually the the guy for the equivalent of Sports Illustrated in Argentina El Grafico who 
followed Maradona through all of those years, became the authority on Maradona uh, through the stories that knows he him better write. than some of his friends. Like yeah. And I actually sat down with Danny for Exploring Planet Football Argentina, visited his house, and we went into his backyard and just talked about his story with Maradona over the years. And it was really fun for me, but also I think for viewers it should be to to hear just how that relationship built um, over the years. But um, in... There's another thing. There's there is no sort of single voiceover narrator. Uh, this movie is two hours long. It feels like four or five, like that much. It, in a good way. In a good way, right? So like, it feels like you're getting five hours worth of great content in two hours. Yeah. And also too, you you get to understand why Maradona became a god to so many people. In Naples, in Argentina, there's stuff from the 86 World Cup where he was just maybe had the best World Cup of anyone ever. And and the 90 World Cup and just the you get this idea that Naples, the city, is a character in the movie, too. And you get a full understanding of how people in Naples are seen by other parts of Italy. And then Argentina draws into Naples for several of its games, including the semifinal against Italy. Maradona tries to get the the fans in Naples. And and he's already by this time won two Scudettos with Naples, the first they'd ever won. And so he's just such a deity in Naples. And he tries to, to tell the fans in Naples, the rest of Italy doesn't consider you Italian. So why don't you root for Argentina? And some did. Some did. It didn't totally work, but Argentina ends up advancing. And I buy what was said after that about like Maradona became the basically the most hated person in Italy. Yeah. And that was when things turned and suddenly they had turned the authorities such a blind eye to what Maradona was doing with drugs, with the Camorra, with all of it. And, you know, taxes, all those things. And and that was the beginning of the end for him in Italy. The only thing I would also add, too, is that I can't believe in the 89-90 season that Napoli with Maradona wins the Italian title. And Maradona himself in this film admits that basically he would play a game on Sunday. They would win. He would go out on Sunday night and go out every night through Wednesday night on a total bender. Huge cocaine problem at this point. And somehow between Wednesday and Sunday, get his act together to play at the highest level in what was the best league in the world and win the league. Soccer's a demanding sport, my friend. Yeah, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday were his detox days. And what? he would just say, and Saturday, of course, and then Sunday. It's incredible, isn't it? It's absolutely incredible. Everything you just said is absolutely uh, incredible to watch in the thing and just to go back to the Naples part I think that's such a central part of this story because Neapolitans were the unwanted of right. Italy and Maradona who he himself viewed himself as that anyway because of where he came from it became this marriage of two outsiders that 
you know, reached the highest of the heights. One of my favorite parts is when they win the first Scudetto and obviously Maradona is just an absolute god in Napoli and Neapolitans are posting banners in cemeteries saying, you don't know what you've missed (laughs) to those who have passed away. So, you know, everything about this film is is beautiful. And again, I I just go back to Capadia's... strategy which is to i'm not going to try and tell you that you should hate him or that you should love him or that he was this or that i'm just going to show you who he was during that time what he did and how people reacted to it and that's why the story works because it just unravels piece by piece who maradona became and who he affected and vice versa yeah pretty incredible yeah you should see it so watch it (laughs) (laughs) so let's look ahead to champions league this week a couple of games stand out um spurs Bayern on on tuesday spurs beat points uh they basically gave away two points uh in the first match day olympiacos uh but Bayern's gonna be tough yeah this is gonna be a hard game this is going to be a hard game. I don't think there are any easy games anymore specifically for Premier League um, teams because, like we talked about last time, there is now a target on Premier League teams. And I think Tottenham is a specific example. And Tottenham still hasn't shown me anything yet this season. It's been a very inconsistent team. I think any Mauricio Pochettino side is going to give you resiliency. There's no doubt about it. But now Bayern Munich who I think, you know, is really getting it together finally with Niko Kovac, that you could see that they really want this tournament, or at least they want to go as far as they can. And I, I, this is going to be a tough one for them. Whether it was home or away, it's going to be a difficult one. Yeah, by the way, check out my podcast interview with Uli Honus, the Bayern oh, president. Oh, man, that is great. Uh, midweek. It's a, such a shame, which you do say, that literally we posted and he obviously uh, comes out with all these... Uh... He had a crazy thing that came... Like this, this is frustrating when you do a podcast interview with somebody. It's an interesting interview. It's worth listening to. He even gets into how he was able to resurrect his career after spending two years in jail for $30 million in tax evasion and become Bayern president again in 2016. Which but the is, podcast is great, though. Like, the conversation is fantastic, and, you know, he's he obviously he's just such a character, right? So Yeah, but, like, I didn't get a chance to ask him about this crazy, frankly, comment that he had made that if uh, if Neuer is behind Ter Stegen for the German national team, oh, here at Bayern, we won't release any players to the national team. Like, it, that's, yeah, not... That's just insanity. Yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> but anyway, back to this game. Um, uh, I also want the everybody that follows, you know, our beautiful sport, like knows how good Robert Lewandowski is. But I think people really need to see how good this person is. And I want, I really want, I cheer for Bayern in that way because he is to me the best number nine in the world. And Tottenham will be a tough side to be, but I, I see Lewandowski going off here. I mean, his form these days is insane. And I, I won't go so far as to say best of his career because if you remember back when he was at Dortmund and scored four goals against Real Madrid in Champions League yeah, as they, they eliminated them. them. Uh, the five goals in nine minutes that he had that one time for Bayern in Guardiola, I will never forget his <laughs> response. It's a gift. Look it up. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, Lewandowski is such a stud, and I'm kind of surprised that he's not bigger in how he's viewed around the world. We never really think much about Lewandowski being in the top three for World Player of the Year, and you're kind of like, uh, maybe he should be. Maybe the just the behind, just the overall thinking of Bundesliga. I don't know, but he's just a tremendous. It's not even just his goals. Just watch him. Watch what he does. How he enters the box. How he supplies. How he creates assists for other people. He's just an overall talent. The last thing I'll say about Tottenham and Bayern Munich is, you know, Tango and Dombele is a great player. So I'm I'm hoping to see, you know, a good battle there as he fights, you know, Kimmich or or you know Bayern Munich's midfield, uh, you know. It seems to be a choice either, but it, like either Mueller or Coutinho. Mm. They don't seem to kind of go with both. Right. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in midweek. Um, other games, Champions League wise, that I'm excited about from an American perspective: Liverpool hosting Red Bull Salzburg on Wednesday. I will be at the game, Luis Miguel. Um, you know what? Like, I'm really, I'm mad. Like, I want to be at this game too. I might just be, you know, I'm gonna call in sick for a few days and. <laughs> I mean, Anfield is just, you know, the cathedral of, uh, you know, one of the major stadiums. I'm excited. Uh, What do you think is going to happen in this one? Well, I I almost feel like Jesse Marsh, the coach, the American coach of Red Bull Salzburg, they won 6-2 against Gank at home on match day one, and it was such a jolt of energy for them. Um, He's almost playing with house money in this game at Liverpool because everyone expects Liverpool to win the game, but... When we interviewed Jesse for our video show, which you should check out, he he said, "Go for it." That was that is how they're approaching each one of these Champions League games, and so um, I don't think they're just gonna park the bus at Anfield against Liverpool. No, no chance. You know, we talked about this when Man City lost to Norwich. If you want to beat Goliath, you got to become Goliath. So you might as well go. If you go there and sit. You're just asking for something. I think you just got to, you know, really go for it. I mean, they won today 4-1. Obviously, it's, you know, the Austrian, uh, you know, league. But still, I think it just shows so much confidence in this young side. I'm very excited to see Haaland at Anfield against Van Dijk. That should be an interesting matchup. But I think that you got to go for it. But I think Liverpool's winning this. I just think there's too much talent. But... I mean, I'm rooting for Jesse Marsh. He's such a great guy. He's a friend of our show. But, you know, this is going to be a real test. And you know what? Even if they lose, in what way do you lose? It's going to say a lot about this team. So you just got to go for it, I think. Yeah, me too. Um, And also Liverpool, big incentive because they got no points in the match day one at Napoli. Correct. Good point. These are the European champions. Uh, Also, Barcelona Inter stands out on Wednesday Inter, not great in Europe for a long time and, and got one point at home uh, against Slavia Praha, right? <laughs> I mean, like, um, Bar- you know, that said, Inter still doing well in the league, obviously, in Italy. Barcelona gets three points on the road at Hitafe without Lionel Messi. With a Stegen assist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and... And Barcelona still a lot of questions though. You know they got uh, a they got a point at Dortmund. Not a great performance, but they got a point out of it, which is fine. Do you think we'll see Messi? That's the question. I don't think he'll start. Um, I don't know if Valverde. Valverde is a very cautious manager. Regardless of the importance of three points in the Champions League and all that, I think he's, he wants to make sure above and beyond, especially when you're talking about Lionel Messi, that he needs to be fit. 
because it's a grueling season, right? And it was a bummer that he came back from injury and then got hurt again. Exactly. Uh, the issue, though, was that Dembele, who was meant to like you know feature today, didn't. He's also injured, so there are there are players that are missing. But there's still Lucho Suarez is back, uh, Antoine Griezmann, of course. Uh, so there there are talented players that can obviously cause this is at comp now so it should be you know uh, a nice home welcome for for this team but i wouldn't rush Lionel messi just because it's the opening game at comp now for the champions league i think we'll see him i think there'll be a good you know half hour for him to make sure that you know he gets his minutes but the hope is that you know barcelona withstands Inter Milan but it's not going to be easy Antonio Conte's Inter Milan like you said is doing well in Serie A and you know we'll, we'll you know it's it's going to be a test but you know Antoine Griezmann like he needs to show up it, it might be being overly impatient that I don't think we've seen Griezmann yet with Barcelona no I I'm with you I, I think that again his time will come but this is Antoine Griezmann this is, you know, meant to be one of the best players in the world. I mean, obviously, it's a different system. It's a different manager. I mean, Diego Simeone and Ernesto Valverde couldn't be more different if they tried. So he's got to wait. But still, you are blessed with so much talent and assist that there's no excuse. I want, like, you know, we need a bit, especially when Lionel Messi's out. You know, this is the time when Griezmann needs to say, I'm here to help you and look beyond Lionel Messi. So it's a time to, you know, to really show that. I also think it's interesting when you look at Frankie de Jong right. and Matthias de Ligt in the moves that those two guys made. And it hasn't gone perfectly for either one of them. Like they're still really adjusting. Yep. And Frankie de Jong is is, st- is starting every game and he's, he's making his minutes. It's Today, uh, you know, as we speak on Saturday, it was Sergio Busquets, Arthur, and Frankie de Jong in the midfield. Um, so he needs to, you know, but Frankie de Jong, I'll give him a little bit of a pass just because he's kind of like a Busquets. You don't see his work uh, throughout a game as much as you would want to because he really is the move the chains kind of guy but still there i have seen mistakes in his game with barcelona so far and you know when you play for barca when you got that title when you're starting every game and valverde has that much trust in you you better deliver and you know uh, another opportunity is going to come on you know against inter milan by the way was it bad that during the fifa best awards when they had the announcement ties to lick in the the best 11 worldwide that my first thought was, well, he can't get into the best 11 <laughs> <laughs> right now. Event, so he's having a challenge at least. Exactly. I, Arthur Mello, I think is playing better than him right now. So, you know, there's not that they're going against each other. They work together. But if you're talking about players that are making a difference for Barcelona right now, it's the Brazilian who had a good Copa America ahead of the, you know, young Dutch midfielder who everybody's talking about. Um, let's move to, to U.S. soccer. Yes, um, let's. And we always talk about American stuff in the uh, toward the this section of the podcast, and and we'll talk about a lot of the MLS playoffs once they once they get going. We're recording this on Saturday. All the games are on Sunday this week, so that makes it a little difficult to talk specifics. But I do want to ask you about the new MLS playoff format. Yeah, and your thoughts on it because it's it's definitely different this year. It's going to all take place between the FIFA window. So you're not going to have a situation where the FIFA window comes and then you go 
two weeks where the MLS playoffs just freeze and you really lose momentum. So it, and it's also going to be all single elimination. Every game is going to be an elimination game. No more two-legged um, playoff series. How do you feel about that? I, I love the single elimination thing. I'm thinking maybe not every single one should have been that, but uh, I like it. I think it's, you know, let's get going. Uh, specifically because we complain so much about the fact that seven teams make the playoffs. Like, let's if you really don't belong here, let's just get rid of it straight away. And that, to me, is one situation. I mean, you know, but then you look at play teams like NYCFC where like things like home advantage means absolutely nothing, you know, with Yankee Stadium's issues, right? Um, they may not be playing Yankee Stadium. Exactly. So, but I like it. I think it's good. It's a smart move to just be like, let's let us let us get on with it. These are the playoffs. I mean, there is something to be said whether could, uh, you know, the playoff game right before MLS Cup, could that have been a home and away? And everything else elimination, like you know, the obviously the especially the very first ones, those that those that happen on Thursday nights. Uh, but I think it's a good incentive to just get going with this season and with these games, especially because we know that seven teams don't belong in postseason soccer, right? Well, so fourteen, four exactly seven teams I mean, per conference, fourteen yeah. total. It's, it's it's a joke. So it moves things ahead, and it also helps with the international window, of course, as well. The FIFA international break. Uh, I I'll say this: I never enjoyed the first legs no. of the MLS playoff series, and we have to and, work it. And I, I and I didn't like that it seemed to actually reward the lower place team in from the regular season standings more often than not. Yeah. It seemed like there was like no benefit to having from, from like being better in the regular season. Now there should be, I think more, more benefit because you get to play at home. If you have a better record uh, from the regular season in an elimination game. And, and you feel like it's more is at stake now. Yeah. I, I like it. You know, we uh, we always complain about so many things. Let's give credit where it's due. I think it's good. It moves the chains. And like you said, it's the home field advantage now really gets that more much more gravitas. I think this is a better system for the format than we have seen last year and in previous years. Yeah. It's not the perfect one, though. That one, I don't know if I would say it's perfect, but I think a better one would have been a group stage, uh, just Google it. Like uh, Brian Strauss came up with it a long time ago, uh, and I think it's, uh, I think it's solid because the idea of a group stage in each conference with four teams, just like a World Cup, yeah, where the the highest seeded team hosts all three games, the lowest seeded team goes on the road for all three, and if you are that lowest seeded team and can somehow get the points on the road, then you deserve, then you deserve spot. it, yeah. you know. But yeah, I like it. But nobody listens to it. <laughs> Um, also, I would just point out now, we're recording this before LAFC's game on Sunday. They are three points from tying the all-time record for points in a regular season in MLS set last year by the Red Bulls. And so, obviously, they can get to 74 if they win both games. Uh, and I think that would be a cool thing to for this LAFC team to be able to do uh, and, and really reward... Uh, what they've been able to achieve on the field so far this year. And Carlito Vela, you know, you oh, you God. score one more and uh, yeah. you tie Joseph Martinez's record, right? Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of cool stuff happening yeah. right now with LAFC that even though they've already clinched the supporters' shield, 
makes me want to watch their last two regular season games. Postseason MLS is the best MLS. I'm looking forward to that. I really am. Um, Also here, let's get into questions from readers. Ooh, baby. We got one that we're going to use this time. We got a few questions, but one was good. Uh, If you have questions for us, send them to planetfootballpodcast at gmail.com. That's planetfootballpodcast at gmail.com and we will answer them on a future podcast episode. The question this week comes from Isaiah McCoy. What game and or venue would you recommend for a soccer fan to see travel to in Central or South America? What a great question. Obviously, you know, the generic answer will be Boca Juniors and River Plate as long as, you know, you're safe. <laughs> which, which you should do, by <laughs> the way. Which you should. And they're playing this Tuesday. So get on a plane and go see them playing in the Copa Libertadores semifinals Which Tuesday you could night. do it right on Tuesday. So <laughs> the, the generic answer is that, but it is an obvious one. And it, it is correct. It's a, it's, it's a ridiculous fixture. I actually went to it when I was a child. Nice. I did yeah, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you know, it's been a long time since I've done it again. But you know what? I'm going to keep it real because you can also go to Universitario against Alianza Lima, which actually happens uh, very soon as well in the next few days. You know, that's a local uh, rivalry in Peru. And it has a tremendous history. My family is an Alianza Lima family. Uh, Cubillas played for Alianza Lima, but La U has always been, you know, that opponent that's actually much a much better team in recent years. And that's a tremendous, tremendous fine, a tremendous game. I think that derby would be would be great to see. Yeah, I mean, I, I would also suggest the Central America was mentioned in the question too. Go to a U.S. game, like a World Cup qualifier in Central America, because yeah. those are really interesting experiences, whether it's Costa Rica, whether it's Guatemala. Yeah. Um, and, you know, these are games that have stakes and there's American Outlaws travel groups that you can go with. and You can be with American fans. But uh, if I wasn't a journalist, I think I would be going to these things. Absolutely. Um, that should be our career. Just go through all these places. <laughs> Okay, if you excuse me, I'm just going to pitch this to uh, our video team. We're just going to go through every single game throughout Central America and just never come back. <laughs> um, and also, too, the funny thing is, is that Costa Rica's new uh, state, new-ish stadium down there and sort of the hotel situation, like, it's totally safe. I mean, like, I've been down there a couple of times since they built a new stadium, and, and Costa Rica's wonderful. Combine it with going out to the Pacific Coast and... It's a beautiful country. And yeah. Um, in terms of South America, I'm an Argentina guy, so Boca River. Um, spent a little time in Brazil over the years. Haven't been to too many club games, but, you know, like Brazilian club soccer can be pretty darn cool. I think the answer, Isaiah, is that you cannot go wrong here. Just go to see the most beautiful sport in the world in the most beautiful nations with the most beautiful people. Minus Chile. (laughs) That is it for this week's episode of the Planet Football Podcast, or at least the Monday episode. Come back on Thursday. We'll have a podcast interview every week. And we will appreciate you guys listening to us. Thanks so much, Luis. Thanks so much, my man. And safe travels. Thanks.